When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You separate all the pieces first? Until yeah, we, well, no, um, but you know, the kits come in bags now, like the books. <laughs> okay. They're yeah. like Lord of the Rings length, some of these yeah. kits, okay? Yeah. They, they have yeah. multiple guides. I mean, it's pretty intense. Um, anyway, because some, some richer relatives have given him a few, like, the Death Star or the Millennium Falcon, like huge, like oh, those are big pieces. Oh no, they take weeks and weeks. Yeah, they're, sure. They're, yeah. they're next. They're next level. We're gonna pivot to a Lego podcast, Kevin. <laughs> Hello. And welcome to the Adulting Well Podcast. I am your co-host, Pepper. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Kevin McCracken. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. And, you know, I get really excited about our guests. So today we have Kim Coletta on. And for those that don't know her, she is not only the bass player for Jawbox, but she is also a teacher. Um, I believe you've run a record label. There's all kinds of stuff that we can get into. In some ways, I still and, wear but a record label. Yeah, there's a bunch of... Yeah. Yeah, I've worn many hats, wear many hats. <laughs> <laughs> so, and recently married. That's why we're doing this now. And recently married. And that that story, if I may say so, is actually a pretty, pretty cool one. So, Well, let's tell that one first then. Let's why hear not? it. Oh, really? You've, you've let us in. Yeah. Jumping right into the, like the- Congratulations jump- also. Yes. Thank you. Jumping right into like the punk rock lifetime special. That's yeah. Well, well, you know what? The thing is, is we like to talk about what people are doing now with their lives because for a long time, you Jawbox wasn't a thing. That's so. Right. And you've been doing some really cool stuff, yeah. You know, and I, I'm I'm a huge fan of teachers. So, did you meet your husband in grade school? <laughs> no, but in a way, this goes all the way back to grade school because I yes. dated the Swedish exchange student, and mm-hmm. I've uh, something. I, my friends joke like, "Can you just not date an American guy?" Well, <laughs> I, did, I did end up marrying an American guy, and we had a a good long marriage and then a divorce. Um, but this guy, his name's Yo, it's short for Johan. He's Belgian. Before this, I dated a guy from Australia. But in fact, Belgium seems relatively close in the scheme of the world. Once you've dated an Australian, just to put it all. In <laughs> relatively but for yeah. you, it was like a local thing. In the scheme of long distance relationships. So Yo was part of a group that put on a show for Jawbox in 1994 in Belgium. Wow. And so he tells me he had a really big crush on me. And in mm. fact, we've unearthed some old video footage. And you know video footage from back then. Like someone had to be motivated to carry a giant camcorder mm-hmm. to the show. And 
they all pretty much sound like shit. But uh, we found some footage of me getting off the stage at the hottest show I've ever played. It's a little university town called Leuven in Belgium. Uh, Great music scene there. And he... We find this video of him making a beeline. He's the first person that talks to me when I get off the stage in 1994. Mm. So we both got married and divorced, and we we reconnected um, at the beginning of the pandemic um, through through social media, through texting, and mm-hmm. we had a nice rapport going back and forth. And he came to visit me right before the pandemic, and. Uh, it wasn't so much a romantic connection then. Maybe it was budding and we got along really well and he stayed and I, I had to work and he explored DC and he knows some other people here, but then it got, it quickly was clear that this was going to be a romantic relationship. Uh, and we had planned a second trip and pandemic. Oh, right. So, right. When you're crushing, right. When I'm crushing, that's such a California thing to say. I love that. <laughs> um, totally. And so it was interesting because we, we couldn't see each other for 19 months because I couldn't travel to Belgium and he couldn't travel here, mm-hmm. you know, massive travel restrictions. And um, it was cool because it built such an interesting foundation because it wasn't physical. Um, it was talking. And a lot of talking. And it was pretty cool. Um, when we finally saw each other, we went we went to the first country that would accept both of us. And that was Iceland. That was the first country <laughs> that opened that we could both travel to. Oh, that's funny. That's interesting. So you had to kind of keep an eye on, oh, we, like, which country is going to lift the band first? Great it, we were crazy. Like, oh, wow. following yeah. both our governments and what they were planning. And there was a whole group of people. Um, love is... Love is not tourism is the name of the group. Crying hmm. because people got even married couples got separated hmm. who had been in separate countries for various reasons. People hadn't sure. seen their kids being born. It was pretty bad. Things you don't think wow, about yeah. unless you were in the thick of it. Uh, so mm-hmm. Iceland opened up first, and so we booked a three week trip there last June, so June of twenty twenty one. Now no one goes to Iceland for three weeks, but that's crazy and. No one was there but us because it had just opened. So it was pretty cool. The Icelandic people were happy. Tourism is a major part of their economy. And they were happy Mm -hmm. to see people. So on that trip, uh, Yo proposed to me uh, in front of an volcano. Like it was erupting in the background. Like that was a next level proposal, I have to say. It was super cool. So is the timeline hangout? separate but pen pals like deep connected pen pals and then hang out and proposal okay yeah and wow i'm like i think some things in life are just a leap of faith like some things you just know Uh and and Uh a friend said this to me about the interesting way we got so quickly to marriage like it it may or may not work out but you'll never know unless you take it take that chance and Mm -hmm. um I don't know. My, my gut tell, told me this was completely the right path because if you love someone from another country, you, you really have to get married. If you would like to live in each other's country, sure. no other choice. Sure. So in November last year, we, we met in Copenhagen. And um, so, this, so this is funny because now because we got married, because we went to Iceland and then got married in Copenhagen, people think he's either Danish or Icelandic. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so we went in why Copenhagen, because the U.S. makes it almost impossible. It is so hard. The whole immigration route, including marriage, is really mm-hmm. hard. And um, our immigration lawyer said a, a third party country is the best because Belgium was throwing up a lot of roadblocks, too. So I Googled, as you do, easiest place to get married in Europe. Well, <laughs> I'm here to teach you guys. You may not know that Copenhagen is the Las Vegas of Europe. I did not know. No one knows that. The people who get married know that. And it really was easy. We could show a passport and there wasn't such a crazy amount of paperwork. So we got married there and we we started the green card process. He's coming here to the States. Uh, And it is, it's a freaking nightmare between Trumpian policies Mm -hmm. with immigration and the pandemic backup governmentally through really all sure. departments, um, it's just taking forever. So we submitted that last December and uh, we're not even at the first step where, where the U- U.S. immigration knocks on our email door and says it's time for an interview. So we're not even there yet. So that's only step one. Wow. And we've waited this long. We've practiced some more patience. And did you get to see each other when you were over in Europe recently? Yes, yes. Um, so you, you got to hang out. Absolutely. He he he's since Denmark. He's taken a trip here too, and then I got to hang out in Europe. Um, the European tour was really great, uh, mm-hmm. except we both, Yo and I, both got COVID at the very end of the tour. Oh no! Yeah. This is the jaw box. Yeah. Tour. Yeah, that was my. I mean, it was COVID central in Europe. Um, a BA5 yeah. variant, I think, because they, they are about six weeks ahead of us always. They're like a harbinger yeah. of what's about to come in the States. And it, we, the whole band could hear the COVID cough, as we called it, on all the flights. And no one's masking anymore in Europe. Um, no one. Like not in stores, not at doctor's offices, not on public transportation, not on planes. Uh, we did. But we played some club shows. Like we played a show in Barcelona with no ventilation and packed and people were right in our faces. And I'm pretty sure that's probably where I got COVID. And yeah. it's weird because I've been a frontline worker as a teacher. And there was times when like five or six kids in my homeroom had COVID and I didn't get it. But um, what? in fact, I, I, was one, I deluded myself that I was one of those super immune people. <laughs> right, a little hubris, like yeah, that, that must sure. be me. That must describe me, but it does not. It does not, because a lot of my friends like got COVID for the first time in this this latest Omicron wave, I guess. But I've been, you know, vaccinated four times, and they did exactly what they were supposed to, which was prevent me from getting super sick. So we, cool. Our plans changed, and we basically we were in Portugal when we got COVID at the end of the tour. And we holed up at an Airbnb, walked a little outside each day, napped, and uh, ordered Uber Eats every day to get our food. You got to finish the tour? We got to finish the tour, which is... That's good. Thank God. Because it's a house of cards financially to go, especially to Europe, it's expensive. Sure. Of course. If any one show wasn't played, I'm the person who fronts about this stuff in the band. Like I'm I'm the financial side of things. I'm the accountant, I guess. And um, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, I thought about it. If that had happened, it would have been. But, but I'll tell you what, we're, we must be getting to a point where you you got to play with COVID. 
like we can't yeah, yeah. canceling yeah. every shows like because I mean my COVID was no worse than a cold and I, I mean I've certainly played many job box shows back in the day much sicker than how I was before. Mm-hmm. so it's I'm just I just think about these things where we're going with all of yeah. this well, I think that's, I mean, you know, as, as vaccines improve and people are getting less sick, it's probably going to be the case. I mean, I, so. I just had it too. And it was, I was actually pretty brutally sick, but, um, you know, it just, it is what it is. Like everyone's experience it, is different. Everyone's yeah. experience is really different. And I guess, and I'm not being flip when I say this, you weren't hospitalized, I'm guessing, and you didn't die. <laughs> that I no, know because you're here. Yeah. Uh, yep. so, you know, that, that means the vaccines are doing, doing their job. And I, I taught during, I teach at a private school and private mm-hmm. schools went back in person long before public schools did and long before we were vaccinated. And yep. that was scary. I did not feel good about that. Um, that was when we went back, we were just learning oh, shit, this seems to be like an airborne thing because, you know, the beginning of this, you will remember, was maniacal. We were, you know, Clorox wiping groceries and <laughs> putting our mail aside for three days or, like, you know, all that stuff. And yeah. I remember in the classroom, we were, like, Clorox wiping, like, the kids' textbooks and library books. And then we realized, oh, wow, it's airborne. So then open all the doors and windows, but D.C. is really cold in the winter, so we're all wearing winter coats and um, no, no, I must say, let me backtrack. The first thing we did, (laughs) we went back and taught in tents. So they got a bunch of tents that look like big wedding tents and we taught in tents. So like I'd be teaching and like airplanes were flying into national airport and the kids were like, what are you saying? Cause we're all, we're wearing masks. That's the, we're wearing masks outdoors even. So then we went back inside and then, then it was the freezing began as I called it. And I I have pictures of me just like with a blanket on the mask, you know, a hat glove trying to teach. Yes. All we left all the windows and doors open as did many schools. So, so you're, you're in a, you're in a nice area of the country. Like I have teacher friends where it was, it's, it's temperate all year. Yay! Not not where I am. It was freezing. <laughs> it was uh, yeah. It was very fraught there for a while. Yeah. Oh, honestly, it feels like it was like Sisyphus rolling the rock up up the up the hill. It felt eternal, but it it. I don't know. Maybe I don't remember. I don't remember when I. Oh, I should I should exactly remember. If I look at my vaccination card, whenever I got the first vac- vaccination, sometime in twenty twenty one, was when. I felt like I could breathe a little bit again, you know, and we, we did teach over zoom for that, you know, everyone taught remotely. Um, but I'm really techie. So it's weird. That, that part really thrilled. Oh, I'm grade five right now. It's funny. I'm, I'm very, I, I love ed tech and I've been, I've done educational technology at my school. So when the pandemic hit, all teachers everywhere had to flip almost overnight to a totally different way of teaching. And I, I thought it was thrilling. Um, didn't think the pandemic was thrilling, as I've said, but I love new things. So it was like a challenge for me. 
but one of my jobs was to, I stepped up and got all the other teachers who weren't so into technology. Cause in an elementary school, you know, you don't use a ton of technology. Some of the teachers yep. and kind of, it felt like it reminded me of like world war two, like, like Winston Churchill scenario. Now I'm not comparing myself to Winston Churchill, but that kind of philosophy of like, you know, like carry on with your daily activities. Like we just got to, we got to band together and get through this. And that's how it felt. Um, yeah. You know, they were, and I have to say some of the most creative teaching came from not the university level, but younger levels like elementary mm-hmm. and middle school. Um, I can say this because I've talked to lots of, my, my son is in college now. And so I got to find, see what that looked like, not just at his school, but I obviously have a lot of friends with college age kids. It was not great. Like the teachers felt like, and I know some of them probably did awesome things, but a lot of them just took whatever they were doing and then just tried to make a lecture on Zoom, which is really boring. It has to like you have to look for ways to be more interactive online to capture people's attention. So then you have a bunch of college kids. Like my son, for instance, um, he's at the University of Vermont. There's a point where he's home online learning at UVM. And the kids all shut their cameras off, the older kids. So they're just checked out. And then there's a point where they go back in person, but they're still learning virtually. So picture them lying on their dorm beds on Zoom or whatever. Hmm. And so then pandemic college sucks. I didn't want to pay for it. So he came home and has been working. And he's just now going back to college in a couple weeks. Yeah. Uh, like we're not paying for this because this this is not yeah worth it. I mean it it was rough for the kids on Zoom. I mean I have two. I have a preschooler and a daughter that's gonna that's going into the eighth grade. Oh, so and you know it. You know from two very different age. Yes. So we we pulled the preschooler out and got yeah. like help at home because it was just too much of a risk. You know, and in all preschools in California are private. There's no public preschool. Got it. At all. Yeah. So that was like our choice. Didn't have to pay for it. That's nice. Yeah. We could put money towards some childcare. And the grandparents got to hang out with, with them, which was which was great. But the, my older daughter, the first part of that when they were on Zoom was insane. Like, I, I was just like, she's like, she is not a, a like a learner on TV in any way. And so... It was life changing when they went back to class, and they did outdoor like you did because she's at a, at a small private school. Right, in, good. In, uh, then then private schools were way more agile than public schools, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how did how did you get into teaching in the first place? Because I'm kind of curious about that. I mean, I know obviously Jobbox Jobbox took that huge break, and I'm assuming when you guys were first together, that you know you had to have day jobs too. So kind of how did this this happen? You know. You mean our break from 1997 to 2019? Yes, that one. <laughs> that small break you took with one with one uh, performance in there somewhere. Well, on well, a, I think on well, the TV uh, show we played the Jimmy Fallon show in 2009. Yeah. The, the guy who books that is a good friend of ours, or you know, he was booking at the time. I don't think he does that anymore. But um, then they asked us. We thought that seems cool, and it was. It was oh, 
funny Jimmy Fallon story, and your daughter triggers this memory for me, her not really being attuned to screens. My son, so in 2009, he would have been almost nine years old. And I was still married to Bill, who was in Jawbox at the time. And we're like, we talked to Nick and, you know, hey, mom and dad are going to be on TV. And would you like to come to New York City with us? You'll see it being recorded. And he's like, no, no, thank you. We're like, but, but we're trying to convey to him the, uh, you know, the magnitude of this, this thing, this amazing thing. And I realized, like, first of all, they don't really care about big TVs because everything they need is right here. And I'm holding up my cell phone right now. Like, my son's like, why would I watch? Why would I? See, he just equates TV with, like, YouTube or whatever, wherever you get your, you know, video. Your you know pictures, your moving pictures. Anybody could be on TV is the point exactly. He could be on he done he done YouTube, maybe YouTube videos. So he was completely unimpressed. Of course, he wasn't old enough to quite understand the impact. So he didn't he didn't go with us. Um, I'm getting the train back on the tracks here. I pr- I promise with your question. <laughs> um, oh. But uh, refresh my memory. So you between in the big gap. We certainly did a bunch of other things. Uh, right. One of the things I did um, was have a child, and mm-hmm. I got my uh, master's degree in um, library and information science. So oh, okay. it, the reason for that is I had to take stock after Jawbox. Like, oh, what, oh, what job am I, I going to get? Like, I'm like, oh <laughs> boy, because um, we've been we've been doing that in that punk rock way, like making ends meet with just Jawbox. For, for a few years at least. And sure. I'm like, what are you good at? Uh, organization. And I love, I love information and books. Oh, I'll become a librarian. So that was really cool. So I went to school here in DC and got my degree. And I ended up at the school where I am because I, I didn't, um, I worked a year at the Smithsonian. I did an internship at the um, nice. center for, uh, Folklife and cultural heritage. So I'm like cataloging like old Pete Seeger records. Like it, oh, wow. it seems like my dream job, but I learned something about myself. Pretty hyperactive. I cannot be contained in like a Smithsonian cubicle, which is what it was. So mm-hmm. I, I started looking for other things I could do because I, I did an archives track in my degree. Um, on a listserv, I saw a school saying they needed a substitute or assistant librarian because their woman was going out on maternity leave. I Mm. thought, well, I have, I didn't do school librarianship. I have no idea what I'm, whatever. So I just emailed this woman and she was great. She's still my friend. Like, Oh, don't worry. I'm a former lawyer working now as a librarian. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we have lots of, and this is a very private school thing. We have lots of teachers who had previous careers Mm -hmm. and they start teaching at a later age. Which is um, which is lovely because you miss that whole awkward early twenties teacher who can't manage a classroom very well, or it's right. or so I I did some I was a librarian for a while there and then I started enjoying teaching so I moved into um, classrooms like I've taught a bunch of things I've taught ancient eighth grade ancient history and seventh grade English and eighth grade English and sixth grade social studies. And oh, wow. then I'm, now I've moved to our lower school. So um, 
I can't teach younger than fifth grade. I figured out mm-hmm. younger than fifth grade. They're like still crying and I can't, I'm, <laughs> my head's like in a different, when you have an older sure. child, like your head gets in a different spot. So I can't handle it. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm teaching the younger kids now. It's, it's, I miss my eighth graders because eighth graders, Kevin might know this are funny. They're sarcastic. Mm, they are funny. funny. Annoying, sarcastic, yeah. funny. They're all like a whole bundle of things. <laughs> yep. What kind of kid, what kind of student were you? Um, a, pl- a pleaser, um, a very good student. Um, you did all your homework. You did all my like- homework. Um, loved school, went to public schools, went to a giant high school with 3,000 kids in three grades. Um, in D.C.? No, I grew up in New Hampshire. Oh, okay. This is in Nashville, New Hampshire. It's a town on the Massachusetts border. It's like sure. the, it's one of the big cities of big cities of New Hampshire. Like population is seventy five thousand or something like that. But because well, how did you get into music during that time, though? Um, I because of the people I hung out with in junior high, as we called it then, to date myself. Um, we were kind of the into we call these bands uh new wave maybe like i was listening to like pil and and ultravox and early u2 mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um i loved elvis costello and yeah. right so those those old those first few elvis costello records are punk rock really if you they're yeah. great they're so, so you and your friends were like high achievers with eclectic tastes yeah, we were smart, nerdy kids. I think mm-hmm. we were outliers in our, in, our, in my high school. I, I think we were just, sure. yeah, kind of oddballs because especially back then, there was no talk of diversity or inclusion or social emotional growth or no one gave a shit about any of that. So <laughs> we were different, especially in a place as homogeneous then as New Hampshire was. Like, you know, we just had our little small <laughs> small group of great friends but we that kind of morphed in a uh, guy moved to my town from vermont and he was a big skateboarder and he wasn't more into the hardcore music scene so we yeah. started the hardcore shows at the channel in boston and they were they were 2 p.m hardcore matinees so i got to see you know like the minutemen and the dickies and like bands like that oh whoa yeah but that that rapidly changed to um really loving um early touch and go and homestead bands probably is really where my sweet spot is for what I loved when I was young. Um, and then in, in my, at college, uh, and by the way, lots of guy friends were in bands in high school. It really was a time where it wasn't obvious to me that women could do this too. We watched oh, okay. them. Yeah. We watched them yeah. and it was cool, but there weren't tons of women in bands modeling for me especially in the boston music scene so when i went to college uh, in dc which is how i ended up here like i went to college here and never left so Mm -hmm. i've been here since i was 17 so i think i'm a native washingtonian at this point it's been a long time anyway so at college um i met dave grubbs from louisville kentucky who was in a band called squirrel bait then and he went on to be in um Bastro and Gastrodel Soul and does all kinds of cool eclectic music now. So I bought my first bass from from Dave Grubbs. And um, 
started teaching myself. I remember the first thing I learned was like a Bauhaus song because I could hear the bass. <laughs> like it was, uh-huh, sure. it was easy enough to kind of pick out. So I had, I had had some music training. I played the clarinet for a while and hated that. Um, so I'm always. But simple. you find you picked up uh, rhythm easily. Yeah, yeah, rhythm. Yes, um, it's funny that the first we formed Jawbox like much to my father's chagrin because uh, I went to Georgetown University, right? So now it's even harder and much more money to go to Georgetown. But even then, like, you know, there was some, like, we were paying for this and I was taking loans out and working. It was just, it wasn't, you know, a, um, how can I say it? My father was, would have loved me to go to University of New Hampshire and pay in-state tuition rates, right? But no, my mother convinced them, no, she needs to spread her wings. Why do I pick D.C.? in part because Georgetown's a good school, in part because I love the Washington, D.C. music scene, but you don't tell mm-hmm. your parents stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in D.C., it was cool. Uh, I met, there's a lot. there were a lot more women even back then in the music scene than Boston. And um, we started Jawbox like right after graduation. So that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Y- yeah. How did it start? Did you just some friends that were like, let's start a band yeah. or? Well, um, <laughs> I... We used to go punk rock bowling in D.C. That was a big <laughs> thing. Like I remember it was Guy. I can't say Guy from Fugazi because he was in probably in Right to Spring then. Um, Guy would go and I know Brian Baker from Dag Nasty went. And there were just a bunch of people in the music scene who would go uh, to this bowling alley and then to a place called Tasty Diner, which is an iconic diner here in the D.C. area. And I'm st- still going. I mean, don't, we don't go there anymore because like we're all older and need to eat a little healthier. But um was the thing back in the day and at at punk rock bowling i remember seeing a guy and thinking he was super cute and asked (laughs) someone like who is that and they said very definitively that's brian baker from dag nasty and i was just like thought okay cool as time went on i realized that was actually jay robbins who was playing an issue at the time that wasn't not brian baker that was bad intel i got Sure. So um, Jay and I dated actually for a time early on. um, And we started Jawbox. We were called Josh. Not many people know this. We were called Josh. We played with a drummer named Jen for one, like, I think it was just one show. And um, the band was named after her Pitbull, Josh. And I don't really know why it didn't work out with Jen, but I knew we needed to find another drummer. And we hooked up with Adam Wade and we were a three piece for a bit. And, and at some point we decided it would be good to add another voice and guitar. And Adam knew this guy, Bill, um, from high school, I believe. And he, he tried out and that was Jawbox. Um, later on, we made a drumming switch to Zach Brokus. Uh, and that was crazy because I don't mind saying this because, I, I love Adam Wade and we're certainly still friends, but we toured with Shudder to Think and he was drumming for Shudder to Think, from, you know, but we were both discord bands at the time. And somehow on that tour behind the scenes, Adam agreed, like the drummer, Mike Russell of Shudder to Think was leaving and Adam agreed during our tour to join Shudder to Think. It was like, Whoa. ouch. So cold blooded. But I got to say it all worked out for the best because Zach's um, 
as Kevin knows, is really an incredible drummer. <laughs> insane. Insane. In insane. Like, like I, I, I am not an intuitive musician. The others in my band are super intuitive. It, it's I, I'm intuitive about lots of things, but I have to work hard for my music. And um, I feel like Jay and Zach and now Brooks Harlan from War on Women is in our band instead of Bill. I should say that maybe you know, maybe you don't, but Bill moved to Vermont during the pandemic because he mm. wanted, like many people, to a change of scenery and he was sick of the traffic in D.C. and whatever. So he lives on a mm. dirt, dirt road in Vermont now. So mm. obviously he gave us our bl his blessing to carry on without him. Oh. And Brooks is insane too. Brooks is... <laughs> uh, <laughs> the whole band okay. now. I mean, Brooks you know, regardless of the, the first the first few records and the earlier stuff is great and the, the drumming was obviously very good, but Zach is on another level that is like, he's a drummer's drummer too. Yes. So, and I play the drums and watching him yes, is like, um, it can be almost like a spiritual experience. Yeah, I mean, he's really like, that good. I love when people like, you know, they line up on the side stage if they can get there to just watch Zach. Yeah. And that's what I know exactly what you mean by a drummer's drummer like that. Yeah. He, it, it's a privilege to play with these guys. And when we got back together in 29, by the way, I should say about Brooks, consummate musician he showed up to our first practice having learned all the songs but more than that he came with sheet music with oh wow his parts <laughs> because he, That's how you do it. He, did, he did music stuff in college like he's he's the real deal so he has like mm -hmm. a, a stand with sheet music on it and I'm, man it, it my mind is like so blown when he shows up with this i actually wrote i wrote I wrote bass tabs for all my parts in 2019 because I'm like, it was so torturous to relearn some of them. Yeah, yeah. I'm never going through this again. So I wrote bass tabs, but bass tabs are not sheet music. Um, no. Not at all. In fact, that's a common misconception when you talk to people outside of, that don't know a lot about kind of the punk scene or punky music is like, that we know hardly anybody can read music or... No, and if I could, when I play the clarinet, it is gone. That, mm -hmm. yeah. That's gone. So that yeah no, but but Brooks can, but Brooks can. That's cool. It is cool. Like I I just think that's like next level to show up with sheet sheet music to like kind of an indie rock that is next practice level. right. Um, I mean War on Women's a great band too. He's just a, he's really, a great player. They sit in a really different um, sphere than us. So I think Brooks is enjoying both band experiences. Like right now he's with War on Women in Europe, and he just got back from Europe with Jawbox. So it's just different. He he doesn't sing in War on Women and. He has such a great voice. Mm. It's incredible, like pitch perfect. Yeah. That's cool. But in 2019, when we reunited, we thought it was just going to be a reunion. Like we thought we were done. And then we were going to do those shows in 2019 in the US and then go to Europe. Pandemic, right? So then mm -hmm. in 2020, Europe shows are canceled. Then they're rescheduled. And canceled again in June of 2021. And then finally, even though the COVID numbers are greater than 2021, people, are, like I said, are done with this in some ways. So we yep. played yeah. the shows. And um, we played Primavera, which is an amazing festival in Barcelona, which was really an honor to get asked to play that thing. Um, and, yeah, we had a blast. It was just How did it feel to get back in front of people? Um, you know, I think we're all a bit feral. 
<laughs> you know, I don't yeah. know. Okay. You know, sure. I, um, me maybe a little less so because of being back at school for so long, mm. but the others have been holed up more than me. Um, sure. Right. And it's a little nerve wracking when you get out in public for those first times. Like I've been doing it for a while. So I was like the first time we did it was actually the jawbreaker shows we played out in on the West coast in March of mm-hmm. this year. And I think it was a bit scary for the others to be back in such a public way. Um, right. Cause you know, you've been protecting yourself for so long that it's hard to let go of that feeling. Um, and probably you shouldn't let go of that feeling hundred percent. But now in at those shows, there's like a combination of masked and unmasked people. And I'm not being judgmental about the masks. Like clearly now we're in the, it's a personal decision phase mm-hmm. pandemic. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, that's, a, that's okay by me. Um, I don't know. So your- it was, uh, it was tough, I think, but over the course of days that we did those shows on the West coast, it gets easier. Cause it, you're like, Oh, it's nice to see some other people besides my inner circle. And, Mm-hmm. You'll know what it was like to just see the same people. But are you well, present on I mean, stage? Like, do you enjoy being on stage? I I've had some stage experience, and though I look comfortable, I'm actually not usually. Uh so um, I think I read comfortable. I think on stage, Kevin might be able you to do. speak more to this. Absolutely, I read a little <clears throat> like a maniac, a little weird kind of. But I did connect very much to the audience. Um, before each show, I feel like I'm going to throw up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get mm-hmm. bad stage fright. So I've mm-hmm. been doing, um, I've been doing a musician's meditation that I found on YouTube. That someone sent me. It, someone, my husband actually found it and sent it to me. It's been like it was. It was super helpful to get grounded before I play. And the thing is about that kind of that kind of adrenaline and stuff, the cortisol, mm-hmm. whatever's surging through my system. It goes away. It dissipates after about two or three songs. And I'm like, oh, people enjoy you. They're having fun. It's not a fight or flight situation. Um, You know, there were times before the show, I'm like, well, I just hope a black hole opens up and swallows me whole so I don't have to go on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, I've I've learned how to tackle it. And um, I think I'll always be nervous. But I talk to a lot of musicians. A lot of people feel the way I do. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary getting on stage. I get nervous before these podcasts, like really nervous. I'm not nervous once I start, but. No, I know. I actually get nervous too. It's the weirdest sensation because I've done a fair number of podcasts now. You press that link, like you sent me a link and I press it and my heart starts racing a little bit because like, (laughs) you know, you're not yet my best friends. And so yeah. <laughs> when the podcast has gone better than others and some are clunkier than others, and no, no doubt. I'm always curious because to turn the tables on the two of you, you've had a yeah. bunch of guests and uh, Kevin, I know you run another more serious podcast. Um, you probably have some guests that are clunkers and no names. Oh my God. Said, right. Where you're doing so much heavy lifting. Yes. 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 We had one in particular where, if you don't mind, Kevin, (laughs) I won't say who it is, but uh, it it wasn't someone that wanted to hear their own voice. And you have to have a little bit of that, I think, uh, for it to work. And so it was really just too much, as you're saying, trying to drag things out. Yeah, it's a tough situation. 
I am pretty, you know, like the part of it where Josh and I were joking that I'll, I'll ask people to be on the show. I'm also relatively selective and I, I like to talk to people that I know a fair bit about already um, or have followed their careers in some way. Um, and I think coming into it prepared is a huge issue for a lot of hosts. Like I know a, a lot about Jawbox and the DC music scene that you came out of. And, you know, I, like I said, I did merch for Jawbreaker for many, many years and played in bands out here and saw you all back in the day or whatever, but also the first time around when you came back to the Fillmore and played with the Velveteen, I was at that show. And then also at the, the shows with Jawbreaker more now as a friend, because I we we don't do my company doesn't do the merchandise anymore, but we're their merchandise, you know, but like knowing their merchandise is over the top. Yeah, it's insane. We but, have um, our one, one shirt. Here's yeah. the Jawbox shirt. That's very awesome though. Like we're we're not good at stuff like that. Adam's really involved in that. Yes, and that's she a is. whole that's a whole other thing. But I'm you know, I think about how I have to step up my merch game. Yeah, I'm sure. But I think the thing for us is we try to talk to people that we really care about what they're doing so it's not it's a little warmer yeah you know even with with john when we interviewed him i don't know john but i've played shows with him strangely enough but we never hung out and talked because when you're in a room with him and john darnell you're not gonna you know get darnell's gonna suck the the yeah. he's from the mountain goats he yeah. kind of you know yeah. takes the oxygen from the whole room yeah you know because he's he's a character yeah so it's it's like but but Moreover, we're, you know, we, we target people we really want to hear from, you know, and I think that's like what makes our show unique. It's not just like, oh, we're going to, I'm going to email Kim because Jawbox is in a reunion phase right now. Like I probably would have talked to you either way based on the fact that you're now a teacher and we want to talk to grown up punks, you know? Also, if there's any uncomfortable silences, I don't do any research. So I genuinely like <laughs> am just asking people about like, their lives. Or you could be like the foil because like you could just have like, an inquisitive, open mind about the guests <laughs> that are coming on, <laughs> right? I love it. No, I mean, I mean, and it could be two people on these podcasts. Three, three's cool. Three brings a different dynamic to it. I, I kind of like that. You know, it's good. Yeah. But yes, no, a, a, but, adulting, as we say, like it's. I'm, I'm thinking a lot about that. It is um, scary that we've turned that into a, a verb, but yeah, we've done that, and um. Because you know, I have a 21 year old, and we know so much more about neuroscience mm-hmm. of the brain now, right, than we did even 10 sure. years ago. And his little neurons aren't linked up. And as a male, especially won't be linked up till later. And right. he, it's, he's so smart. By the way, what I meant to say when you asked what kind of student I was, is I was all these things like pleaser and this and that. My son's the exact opposite of me, which has led to some friction over the years because mm-hmm. um, he doesn't care about pleasing any of his teachers. He only works okay. hard if he's interested in something. If he's not, he's sure. like, I don't care about this. So he, he, Nick's, Nick, Nick's famous quote to me, maybe in 10th grade was, why would I work 100 hours for an A if I can work 10 hours and get a B and, and, and have a nice work-life balance? Ouch. Relatable. Ouch, it's, it's, I think it's smart. I think it's smart. We put a lot of emphasis on grades and it makes the kids stressed out and the parents because I've seen them. Um, You're stressing me out that that kid knows 
to the term work-life balance at that age. I know. It was like, this is the kind of thing Nick says. And we're, you know, where I was like, whoa. Um, but it didn't matter what I can't put, I discovered and we all discover as parents, we can't put the fire into their bellies. If we could, we'd be rich consultants. Um, like that's, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Right. Uh, we, we want to be, uh, we certainly have an influence, but they have to make some decisions themselves, of course. And um, where was I going with this? I'm trying to think. Are the kids, we're are just the talking kids, about adulting. Yeah. Say it again. But we were talking about, you were talking about adulting. And oh, like, yes. Yeah. So you've been thinking about being an adult. He knows yeah. so much, but knows so little. Like, yeah, he, sure. just, you know, the other day I'm, I'm with friends having coffee and he starts FaceTiming me over and over again. So I'm like in that, mm-hmm. I'm at that par- parental point, like, oh, could it be an emergency? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Finally, I step aside and I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm out with friends now. What's going on? He goes, mom, is canola oil vegetable oil? And I'm like, Ooh, yeah, teenagers. Are you uh, making brownies? Yes. Okay, right. He's making a box of brownies. And I'm like, yeah. he just doesn't know. Like, it's just, so there's this, it just, you realize they're just, they're dopes in some ways. And there's just so much to learn. But they think they know everything, which is a real, real trick yes. too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. When I was True. most egotistical, what? I knew the least for sure. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I think like I, I continue to make poor choices into my later twenties. Sure. You know what I mean? Like yeah. now I'm like, okay, you know, I can say no to that. That's okay. You know, like, yeah. I don't need to jump into that. No, but, like whatever that yeah, situation my is. A little, a little reckless and he's always been a thrill seeker. So it's, it's been a wild ride with this one. I love this kid. I love everything about it. <laughs> is he you? So, hey, Yes. Let me ask something about, about, about him though. So, because this is a, this is a parenting thing for me with my kids. And I, I'm just curious, like music wise, how did, how did his sort of like introduction to music go? And is he into the same stuff you're into? Great, we haven't even talked to the kind of music no, we great, listen to. Great, but. great question. Um, when he was younger, of course he listened to whatever we were listening to. Right. So it's like a steady diet of indie rock basically. And, but I also, I love, I love folk music very much so and other things. So whatever, there's a blend of music going on. And right around age, I remember he was a big Decemberist fan. That's the last probably Mm. indie band I can remember him. And so I pull some strings, some music industry strings, and I get us like front row tickets to see the Decemberists. He's like 10 years old. So we go, of course the show's at night. We go and, get there and he knows all the, all the records and he's he's very excited and then he promptly falls asleep just asleep because mm. it's his bedtime yeah. and, and yeah. just as a parent <laughs> that happened okay so now we're just seeing the decemberist and he's like lying on our laps asleep every once in a while he'd be like <laughs> look around and fall right back i was like jesus but after that show uh at school they he started hearing rap and hip-hop Mm. And never look back. That's his thing. Interesting. And it's yeah. very deeply underground rap and hip hop, not mainstream at all. Um, and I have learned a lot about this music scene from him. And mm-hmm. when he, we're in the car together, I let him DJ and he plays really loud rap and hip hop. 
which depending on the mood you're in can be cool or completely jarring. Um, <laughs> I've never said word one about it. I'm just like, I listen with an open mind. Um, we've had discussions about some of the sexism, you know, mm. and misogyny, all kinds of things, but, but also some really powerful, amazing lyrics, uh, mm-hmm. yep. what, what, you know, artists were talking about. So I don't know. He's really into that. And, um, but he's diversified his musical taste because lately he's been, we've been playing um, board games. We're big, we're big gamers in this family. What are you playing? Um, well, um, when, when everyone was still getting together in person, um, I liked playing Settlers of Catan. Yeah. That, you know, if you have an extra four hours or whatever, but just any board game, it can be anything like from chess to um, Stratego to play. We've been playing a lot of card games recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is That's how so fun. I, it is fun. It's how I bond with him because growing up, I'm not good at arts and crafts at all. And I feel like I was given Nick, the universe gave me Nick for a reason because I put out all these painting materials when he was little. He'd take a paintbrush, like swing his hand on the paper a few times and 10 seconds later, he'd be like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done painting. <laughs> so that was hilarious. And like we played <laughs> Play-Doh and he'd be like, make me an animal. And I just roll the Play-Doh between my hands. I say, it's a snake, buddy. It's a snake. That's <laughs> But Legos and board games were our thing. And so mm. he'll still do a Lego kit if someone will buy it for him because they're expensive. And sure. he's yeah. age 21, which is cool. Uh, he yeah. wrapped beyond my Lego skills because I, I don't have good spatial reasoning. And he, I'd be like the sous chef of Legos. Like he's like, give me the red two, whatever. Like, and I'm like, I'd be looking around for the Lego piece. But you separate all the pieces first until yeah, the we, little. Well, no, but you know, the kits come in bags now. Like the books. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are yeah. Like Lord of the Rings length, some of these yeah. kits. Okay. Yeah. They, they have yeah. multiple guides. I mean, it's pretty intense. Um, Anyway, because he's some some richer relatives have given him a few like the Death Star or the Millennium Falcon, like huge, like oh, those are big pieces. Oh no, they take weeks and weeks. Yeah, they're, sure. Yeah. They're, they're next. They're next level. We're gonna pivot to a Lego podcast, Kevin. <laughs> well, I think the interesting thing for me about like, my kids love Legos, and we have all of our old ones from when I was a kid. You know, and like they're actually pretty good about. They have a big recycling program now. It's fast and, and, and use Legos are like a huge thing on the internet. Listen, when Nick decided to just keep some of his masterworks and sell all his loose pieces, mm-hmm. he, he got a fair bit of money. He sold yeah. it to a neighborhood listserv and I was like, cheeky man. Wow. And he, but they, someone paid for like, there were a ton of good minifigures he included. Okay. So it was, it's so it's so funny, Kevin and Pepper. You just changed positions on my screen. Yeah, because I, something happened with it. Looked like uh, his internet connection went out momentarily, so it just Got juggles it. everybody. Um, but yeah, I think we're coming up on time here. What what's going on with? Oh, um, can with, I ask one one quick question? Yeah, of course. Just are you know you you work? I mean, I can kids. talk to you all day. I'm yeah. You have kids. I've just been wondering this a lot lately because kids are kind of the whole world's kind of scary to me now. Uh, are the kids all right? Are they all right? Are it's they a, doing their thing? Are they, you know? That's a great question to ask. And it's, it's a, it's a big question. And, and you're going to kind of hate my answer. It, it depends is the answer. Yeah. Um, 
We talked about private schools being more agile during the pandemic and um, those kids lost less learning. Um, people in need, you know, like picture families mm-hmm. where parents couldn't work at home, couldn't mm-hmm. work at home. You know, I, uh, yeah. I will never forget being at a doctor and the lab technician there, you know, the woman who like weighs you and takes your blood pressure, talk, got talking to her and she has four kids and she's a single mom. And I'm like, well, uh-huh. what are you doing during this pandemic? She's like, the eighth grader is watching the other three younger kids because what mm-hmm. can I do? What can she do? So like yep. the it depends yep. answer is for real. And it didn't benefit any kids. Um, sure. They're all behind, but behind is relative. I'm going to argue. Mm-hmm. They're only where they are. They are where they are. And it's okay. Right, um, right. It's not important. Uh, I always told my parents who were freaking out, and they were at times, just keep reading with them you do nothing else, just keep reading. They're going to be mm-hmm. fine. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like where you are in math and stuff like you. So the, the batch of kids I saw this last year, they were behind compared to what I'm used to. Cause I've been doing this long enough that I know. And it, I had to be kind of strategic and getting them more up to speed and, you mm-hmm. know, just doing our best. We're all just doing our best. So sure. There, I mean, kids are resilient. Agreed. Okay, this is the good thing. Human brains, to get back to neuroscience, are wired for resiliency. So even in the face of great tragedy and trauma, most people, not all, their brains lean towards resiliency. And this is certainly true with children. So I think it's going to be okay for most people. There it is. You heard right. it here first. It most people <laughs> yeah. will be all right. Thank you so much for coming on. Yes, thank you. This is one of my favorite things. It just felt like such a conversation, and that always makes me happy. That's the goal of the show, and so, yeah. Yeah. Really great. That makes for a lovely podcast. You guys are fantastic, and yeah, yeah, thank you. Oh,